Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, September the 23rd, 2023. It is currently 1.24 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Question. Very important question. Have you ever found yourself almost in a pit of despair? You found yourself overwhelmed with emotions of discouragement, depression, despair, confusion, you pain, emotional turmoil. You just, you just didn't know what to do. You didn't know which way was up, which way was down. You were just, there was just pain, discouragement, suffering, emotionally going on inside of you. Have you ever felt that? Now, anyone who's ever lived on this planet for any length of time, I'm assuming most of you are saying, yes, there have been times of great pain, great despair, great discouragement, great depression, and I it was it was a horrible experience and you can possibly talk about that experience. So have you experienced that? I'm I'm going to just go with the idea that most of you are nodding in the affirmative that you have some of you may be going through that right now. So here's the second question. How do we move from despair to rejoicing. If despair is on one side of the room and you can look all the way over to the other side of the room and there is rejoicing, how do you get yourself from despair to rejoicing? Is there simple steps that can be taken? Is it that simple? Is it easy? And I think we can, we all know that it's not always that easy. That if even if I was to give you the perfect outline today, here are the four steps you need to take to move from despair to rejoicing. It doesn't mean that when someone is suffering, you just walk up and go, hey, here's four points. Just apply these and you will move from despair to rejoicing. No matter what we say, there's no simple fix. We can all acknowledge that, right? We have to. And also, it's very important to know that sometimes when someone is in the pit of despair, depression, and suffering, sometimes the last thing they want to hear from us is a possible solution. Sometimes they just need to just have someone just be there and let them vent and say whatever they need to say without offering a correction or without trying to fix them, or without trying to say, no, that's not a correct way. You're looking at this incorrectly. Sometimes you just have to let someone vent. But it is an important concept of moving, because we do know this. You don't want someone staying in the pit of despair. You don't want someone to stay discouraged and depressed. You want them at some point to be able to move out of that. So maybe initially you let them vent. You let them just be able to express whatever they need to express, whether you like hearing it or don't like hearing it. And then at some point, though, We do want to help not only ourselves, but anyone else to move from despair to rejoicing. Because wouldn't it be great if every day of our lives could be filled with rejoicing? Wouldn't it be wonderful that every day we could rejoice and there'd be some sense of contentment and peace and happiness? That's what we all would love and love. It doesn't always work that way. So despair is a reality. It's a reality that probably everyone has experienced, but how can we move 
from despair to rejoicing. I don't know if I have an easy answer for you today, because rarely do I try to provide easy answers. But I feel that there is a particular psalm that seems to kind of move from despair to rejoicing, or at least that's how one commentary describes it. Let me read to you from a Bible study guide where they're providing commentary on a particular psalm. They write this. This short psalm begins in despair and ends in rejoicing. Therefore, it is important for us to listen as David pours out his heart to God for what the psalmist discovers is needful for us to understand as well. So let me read this again. This short psalm begins in despair and ends in rejoicing. Therefore, it is important for us to listen as David pours out his heart to God for what the psalmist discovers is needful for us to understand as well if we want to get past the despondency, distress, and disappointment that sometimes arises in our life when we are enduring difficult circumstances. So there's a particular psalm that they believe moves from despair to rejoicing. Let me read this one more time. Listen to this carefully. This short psalm, right, depending on what platform you're listening on, you, can, you know what psalm we're going to be talking about, but I'll tell you in a minute. This short psalm begins in despair and ends in rejoicing. Therefore, it is important for us to listen as David pours out his heart to God for what the psalmist discovers is needful for us to understand as well if we want to get past despondency, distress, and disappointment that sometimes arises in life when we're enduring, enduring difficult circumstances. So they believe somehow David discovers something, discovers in a sense the answer as he's crying out to God, and we need to understand it if we ever want to get past the despondency, distress, and disappointment that sometimes arises in our life. Do you want a plan? Do you want at least a strategy? Do you want at least a philosophy that will allow you at times to get past the despondency, distress, and disappointment that life may bring you? Well, I, I definitely would like to get past it. I, I definitely would. I definitely want to know at least know what the answer is. Now, at this point in this Bible study guide, I closed it because I don't want them to give me the answer. I don't want them to even tell me what they think the answer is. I don't want them to even, I just, I closed it and I have it sitting right here, right? I'm going to close it. I'm going to set my pencil on top of it. What I'm going to have you do is to try to help me see if we can discover this answer together in Psalm chapter 13. And Psalm chapter 13, let's see, because we'll kind of put that, that little sentence, that kind of small paragraph that they put together there, kind of describing what they think is in Psalm 13, we'll kind of set that aside. We'll set that and say, that is the hypothesis about Psalm 13. That Psalm 13 really is David moving from despair to rejoicing. And as we listen to him cry out to God in Psalm 13, we can understand how we can move past despondency and depression and pain. And, so, and we can get to rejoicing. So that, that's kind of their hypothesis. 
Now, I like to set it aside and see what we can discover. I think the first thing we have to do, I think this is obvious, is we'll read Psalm 13 and see if we agree that there's a natural progression here that seems to go from despair to rejoicing. Let's see if we can at least agree to that. We see the hypotheses, but it's easy to take the hypotheses and read it into the text. So let's read the text and see if we can see, oh, you know what? I think that there's a progression from despair to rejoicing. Let's see if we can find it. You ready? Psalm chapter 13. The heading for Psalm chapter 13 is to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. Now we definitely know David had some difficult times in his life. When he had Saul trying to kill him, issues with his own son, his own sin, his own failure, all the different things that happened. We definitely know David experienced times in his life of despondency, of depression, of difficulty, of despair. We can all agree with that. We just know that to be a historical fact. So this is how it begins. Psalm chapter 13, verse 1. How long will thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long will thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrows in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Now we come right out of the gate and David seems to be pretty uh, distressed. Maybe there's a little bit of despair. There's definitely questioning here. Let's look at those questions again. How long will thou forget me, O Lord? That's a, that's a direct God. How long is it? How long are you going to forget me? How long? I mean, do you, do you know who I am? Do you know where I am? Do you know what's going on? How long, Lord? It seems that you have completely forgotten me. Oh, that's, that's expressing some emotion some doubt, some despair. How long will thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long will thou hide thy face from me? He's like, how long are you going to forget me? Forever? How long are you going to hide your face from me? It's almost like you've abandoned me. You're not, in a sense, you're not there. I don't, your presence is not there. You're just, you've abandoned me. How long? Number two, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long basically am I going to sit here basically having to take counsel because you're, you've abandoned me? How long, how long am I just basically left with me and myself and I to, to suffer through these difficulties? Uh, next, how long shall my enemies be exalted over me? And how long are my enemies going to exalt over me? I mean, those are some strong emotions. Verse, uh, that's, that's verse one and verse two. Uh, verse three, consider and hear me, O Lord, my God, lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Hey, God, help me out here. Or basically, it, it seems like he's almost seemingly, whether we you could argue is this, poetic hyperbole, or is this accurate? He believes death could happen. So I think there's a little bit of despair. There's a little bit of distress. Verse four, lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. So we have the despair. We have the questions, questions, the despondency, the, the, the depression, the, the doubt. We see it all right there in David and the beginning of this Psalm. So there's no question it begins with despair. We, that is not a, a hypothesis. That is a textual fact. 
Psalm 13 begins with David expressing despair, doubt, despondency, difficulty, frustration, strong emotions. But then all of a sudden, things change dramatically in verse 5. But, but, now typically when we see a but there, that means it kind of cancels out everything that comes before. Even though all of that is true, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in my salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. I think that we can declare, I think we can dogmatically declare that Psalm 13 moves from despair to rejoicing. I think that that is a fair assessment. Now, the question is, how does he get from despair to rejoicing? How does he get there? Well, what transpires here that moves him from one place to the other? How does he get here? Is is there an answer in the text? Is there an answer in the text? I don't know. Do do you see an answer? I, I, I think personally... Personally, I think the key to this moving from despair to rejoicing, I think the key is found in verse five, but I'm not going to, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can say that. Maybe maybe not. Maybe that's not fair. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's try to walk through this. How do you move from despair to rejoicing in Psalm chapter 13? And notice carefully the end of that Psalm. You see those questions, how long, how long? You, you may want to determine how many, how many times does he say how long or how many questions does David ask? But note this. Here we go. This is interesting. Verse 5, I have trusted. You may want to circle that. I have trusted. Uh, my heart shall rejoice. Trust, rejoice. There's from despair to rejoicing. Trust, rejoicing. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt. I'm going to call that praise. So it may end with despair or may begin with despair and question, questioning and depression. Maybe we could say the psalm begins with depression or despair, depression and questioning. Oh, wait, we could do this. It begins with despair, despondency and depression. Oh, do you like that one? Or, or maybe we could do this. It begins with despair depression, and doubt. Oh, how, how do you like that? Do you like it? I, I think that may work even better. Psalm 13 begins with despair, despondency, or despair, depression, and doubt. Despair, depression, and doubt. I, I think there's a little bit of that there. We definitely can see the doubt. How long, Lord? Where are you? Where are, where are you? We can see doubt. We can see this despair. The depression may be harder to see, but you can come up with three ways the psalm begins. I, I think that that's an accurate way. But then it ends with, notice, trust, rejoicing, and praise. Trust, rejoicing, and praise. Now, it's only go, there's only six verses. So we don't get this like detailed map. How does he get from you know, despair, depression, and doubt to rejoicing, trusting, rejoicing, and praise. I mean, I want, I mean, I want to know the answer. I think there are, I know I need three. 
I know if I'm, if I'm going to do this correctly, I need three points. I don't know if I have three points, but I know I have two clear points. All right. The first one, the first is very important. The first one is found in verses one and two. The first one is found in verses one and two. And I think you can see what, what do you, what do you think is the key ingredient to move from despair, depression, and doubt? What do you think is the first key element in Psalm 13 to move us from depression, despair, and doubt? What, what, what's the way to move towards these other things like trust and rejoicing and praise? What do you think is the key element? Oh, this is where I wish I was, I was uh, standing in front of a group of people because at this point I would just stop and say, all right, you figure it out. Look at verse one and two and tell me what's the answer? What's the answer? Oh, come on. What's the answer? I, I'm almost waiting for someone to give me the answer. I'm going to say this. If you want to move from despair, depression, and doubt, and you want to be able to move to trust and rejoicing and praise, it requires, are you ready for this? Brutal honesty. You have to be able and willing to express what you're really feeling, not covering it up in Christian platitudes, not covering it up that all, everything is good. I am blessed and saying all the right words that you're supposed to say. It's where you can brutally say, Lord, how long will you forget me? Lord, forever? How long will you hide your face? How long do I have to take counsel in my soul? Having sorrow in my, uh, in my heart daily. How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? It's, it's a willingness. It's, it's a, a, an ability to be brutally honest with God and with yourself. If you're ever going to move from despair, depression, and doubt, you got to just start with being able to, to be honest with what's inside, not what you should say, not, not being afraid to, you can just say what you feel. That is the first step. It's that brutal honesty. Now, some people don't like to hear that brutal honesty, but I know this. God is willing to hear that brutal honesty. Job was brutally honest to God. Jonah was brutally honest to God. Elijah was brutally honest. You can be honest. David here is brutally honest. We think sometimes being honest shows a lack of faith or it questions one's spiritual growth or one's spiritual maturity. I disagree. I think the one who can be brutally honest with what they truly feel and what they're truly thinking, I think that's a sign of spiritual maturity. Because you know that your doubts, that your questions, that your despair and that your pain does not does not do anything to God. It does not change God. It does not disprove anything. You're just being honest. So I think the first step is just a brutal honesty. We, we sometimes can refer to these words like a, a spiritual lament. And remember, I say that that's a spiritual scream. It's a spiritual scream of pain. It's a spiritual scream of depression, of discouragement. It's a spiritual scream of brutal honesty. You, you can lament. You can, you can, in a sense, tear your clothes, put on sackcloth, sit in ashes and say, Lord, how long? Where have you abandoned me? In David's case, someone's trying to kill me. My, my, I'm, I'm, I'm fleeing for my life. I'm, I'm in despair. I'm, I, I don't know what to do. It's okay. It's okay to say that. It's okay. 
There's got to be that. If if without that spiritual honesty, that I'm, I'm sorry, you all you're doing. All, I mean, look, you have a you have a choice. You sit down in a sense in sackcloth and ashes, and scream out your spiritual pain. Or you put on some fig leaves, you put on a robe of self-righteousness, you cover it all up, act like you've got it all figured out, act like that everything is wonderful, put a smile on your face and say, praise the Lord, like everything is wonderful, when everyone knows that it isn't. You're not fooling God, you're not fooling yourself, you may fool some other people, but sooner or later, what is going on inside is going to manifest itself. So first is brutal honesty. Second, look at verse three and four. Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Light my, lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him. And those that trouble me rejoice where I am moved. You, listen, number one, you are brutally honest. And number two, you direct your needs and your desires to God. You you turn your uh, eyes upward and say, God. Yeah, now the, but in both cases, you're tu- you're turning your eyes upward. But one, it's brutal on is more just being brutally honest. You know, being brutally honest with God. God already knows the honesty, but it's you being brutally honest so that you hear yourself and you acknowledge it yourself. So really, the first part, I'm not going to so much focus on. You're saying this to God. I'm focusing on the fact that you're really being, you're saying it to yourself. You're being honest with yourself and you're expressing it to God. But when God hears it, he's not like, oh, wait, I didn't know this. But yeah, so the first part is brutally honest, honesty. And secondly, it's God directed. You're taking your concerns. You're directing it towards God. Brutally honest and you are communicating with God. It's brutal honesty. And number two, communication with God. Because it's, it's, it's at least making you look up. It's making you look, not looking around you, not looking below you. You're looking up. And at least you're now focusing in the right direction. Brutal honesty and direct communication to God. I think those are first two steps to move from despair, depression, and doubt. Brutal honesty and direct communication to God. Right, I think we see that in verses 1 through 4. But I believe verse 5 contains the real gem, the real treasure here. I believe it's in verse 5. Now, 5 and 6 gives us the trusting, the rejoicing, and the praise. But I think the trusting, the rejoicing, and the praise are all related to one thing. This is the way I'm going to read it. Now, David may have had something else in mind. He may have had a much more physical, material way of looking at this, a much more practical way, I'm going to look at this in a different way because I think it's the only way to really move from despair, depression, and doubt to trusting, uh, rejoicing, and praise. Now look at it carefully. I'm going to read verse five carefully. But, and that's key, but, so he's been brutally honest. He's had direct communication with God, but, all right, I have trusted in thy mercy and my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I believe verse five is the key. Now, some people could see this 
Now, and I understand this. We could get into a long debate here. Some could say, well, what David is trusting in is God's mercy and God's salvation to deliver him physically from the physical threat and danger that he's in. He's trusting in God's mercy and God's salvation. I, and, and we could argue whether that's what David is trusting in. But I know for me and for you, if you want to move past despair, depression, and doubt, what you have to do is you need to put your focus on. Now, this is very important. You need to, oh, how, let, me, let me state it this way. So you need brutal honesty. You need direct communication with God. And you need a massive change in perspective. Your perspective must become positional, not practical. A practical perspective, you will see you're going to see the pain and the suffering around you. The practical perspective, you're going to see, well, wait a minute. Someone's trying to kill me. Wait a minute. Why is my life like this? Wait a minute. I'm on the run. Wait a minute. I can't even have a peaceful sleep at night. Wait a minute. I, wh where are we going to find food next? Your, your, your practical perspective may go, well, wait a minute. My parent did die. And wait a minute, my child wasn't healed. And my, my, my cancer diagnosis is now terminal. And I've got six months to a year to live. And no, my child was killed by a drunk driver. Your practical perspective, guess what? If you, if you look at life that way, you can, you can say, you may want, you may say to the practical, if you're looking at things from a practical way, hey, I've trusted in God's mercy and will rejoice in thy salvation. If you look at it from a practical perspective, you're going to think, well, then God's mercy and God's salvation is going to deliver me from this practical reality. But let me tell you, sometimes the practical reality does not get better. I think looking at a practical reality is, is a, is a, is a recipe for disaster. You need a different perspective. So I can look at, I can look at the practical reality and I'm just going to see suffering and pain and it may not get better, but here's the perspective I need. Someone may be trying to kill me. I may have a disease. I may not have money in my bank account. Things may not be going the way I want them to go. Things may be failing in my ministry. Things may be failing in every aspect of your life. Things may be falling apart, but I can open my Bible and say, I am trusting in your mercy. And I'm rejoicing in your salvation. And that mercy and that salvation is your positional reality. Because of God's mercy, you will not face eternal condemnation. Because of God's mercy, your sins have been forgiven. Because of his mercy, and I have, uh, and I'm going to rejoice in my salvation. In other words, there is a positional reality that is not moved and is not diminished because of the practical reality. Practical life, you could be suffering, dying, and it's horrible. And sometimes, do I wish God steps into the middle of the practical and fix it and saves me and shows me? No, sometimes I wish that's the case, but he doesn't always, we know he doesn't do that time and time again. People suffer and people die. But here's what I do know. No matter what's happening practically, I can have a positional perspective to say, no matter, that says this, I have salvation and nothing can touch that. Nothing can move that.
God has demonstrated his mercy to me in Christ Jesus because Christ Jesus came, kept the law on my behalf, took my sins, were imputed to his account. He died, paid for all of my sins. And in Christ Jesus, his perfect righteousness and obedience is imputed to my account. My sins have been forgiven. I'm eternally secure. I've been adopted into the family of God. I'm a son of God and I'm a co-heir with Jesus Christ. And, and there will come a time where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, and no more death. And there will be no more tears. And I will, I will live forever with a glorified body that will never get sick. All of that is true. I can, in a sense, I can trust in his mercy and I can rejoice in his salvation. That is the positional reality. Positional reality is what your perspective must grab onto. We walk by faith, not by sight. By sight, you'll look at the practical reality. The practical reality is suffering and pain and, and difficulty and despair. And that's where you'll be left with. You'll be left with, and with despair, depression, and doubt. You'll be saying, how long, Lord? How long? Because from a practical perspective, saying how long, God, why have you abandoned me? Makes perfect sense. But that's walking by sight, walking by faith. I'm like, okay, I don't understand the practical. Makes no sense to me. I'm not going to deny that it's there. That's why you need the brutal honesty. You're being brutally honest by, about how you feel in the practical, but, but you're going to say, but I'm going to trust in your mercy and I'm going to rejoice in your salvation because that, that, is, that is eternal. That is perfect. That is, that is unchanging. It's immovable. No matter what happens practically, we need a positional perspective, not a practical perspective. Now, the practical perspective, we acknowledge the reality of how we feel, but immediately our perspective goes, no matter, no matter if the whole world crumbles, no matter if I die, no matter what happens to me, I'm going to trust in your mercy and rejoice in your salvation. And then I'm going to, I'm going to praise. I'm going to sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. He may not deal bountifully with me in my practical position. I'm sorry. In my practical reality, he may not be dealing bountifully with me practically. You could be suffering. It could be, you could be financial problems, relationship problems, health problems, mental problems, emotional problems, but God has dealt bountifully with you in Christ Jesus. Because in Christ Jesus, all of his promises are yea, are all yea in Christ Jesus. All of his promises are in the affirmative. In Christ Jesus, you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. In Christ Jesus, you're a co-heir. In Christ Jesus, you are a son of God. You've been adopted into the family of God. In Christ Jesus, you're more than a conqueror positionally. In Christ, positionally, you're a new creature. The old is gone, all is new. In Christ, you're holy and righteous. Those are all the things that you can rejoice in. You can praise God that he has dealt with you bountifully positionally. If we want to move from despair and depression and doubt to trusting, rejoicing, and praising, then the key step is this, brutal honesty about our positional reality. Brutal honesty about the positional reality. We don't deny it. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's the, it's the power of honest confession of this is how I feel. Then we directly communicate with God talking to God about what we need. We're at least looking to God. And then you know what we do? But even though I've acknowledged all of that in my, 
my brutal honesty and my direct communication with God, then you what you know what I do? I then switch from my practical perspective to a positional perspective. And that positional perspective, I trust in God's mercy. I rejoice in his salvation and I praise unto the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And all of that is true perfectly in your positional reality. That is how you move from despair, depression, and doubt to trusting, rejoicing, and praising. That is my, I'll I'll hand that to you as my hypotheses. I'll hand that to you as my thesis on Psalm 13. And you can tell me if you agree or disagree. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. There you go. There's Psalm 13 for your consideration, your meditation, and your study for this Saturday. September the 23rd, 2023. May God bless you as you meditate and consider this possible interpretation of this very important psalm. Have a great day. God bless.